You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Not the greatest verse to sing just before I start preaching, I will lie down and sleep in peace. <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> We've been looking at uh, the book of Isaiah, and we're looking at the song, the servant song, that begins in Isaiah 52 from verse 13 into the end of uh, chapter 53. And we've seen that that's divided into five stanzas, and we're going to look at the third one today, which is from verse 4 to verse 6. It's on page 740, Isaiah 53 from verse 4 to verse 6. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why? In Scotland today, there are basically two religions. And I'm going to say, fundamentally, there are many, if you like, many different religions, but there are two religious views. And both concern how we deal with sin and suffering and evil. The one religious view either denies that sin exists, or denies that it's really serious, or denies that it's endemic within all humanity. If you say it doesn't exist, I'm afraid you're blind. If you say it's not really serious, that we can deal with it ourselves, then I'm afraid you're blind to your own sin. And if you say it's not endemic within humanity, you're blind to what's going on in the world. And I pray that God would open your eyes. As he did the eyes of an atheist philosopher called C.E.M. Jode, who before the Second World War was the Richard Dawkins of his day. And then after the Second World War, after Auschwitz, he ended up writing a book about how he became a Christian. And he says this in that book, According to these philosophies, there is nothing existing in the universe higher than the spirit that is man or that is in man. Hence, there is no impediment to bar man's path and there are no absolutes existing independently of his will to check human ambition or to limit its achievement. Nor is there anything in the world that can ultimately withstand his will. Having raised himself by dint of his own efforts from the level of the animals, he will probably continue to evolve into something greater than himself. By the way, that is what our politicians believe, and it's what our society basically believes, that we are progressing, we're getting better, we're getting better, we're getting better. Man, in fact, is the highest expression of the spirit of the universe, a spirit which will one day, if it has not done so yet, raise itself in and through his agency to the level of the divine. God, in fact, as Alexander suggested, is waiting to be evolved by man's efforts. Where he arrives, he will be man's handiwork and man's descendant. This is the very crest of human optimism. Nowhere in these philosophies is there any suggestion that there may be something fundamentally wrong with man, 
that evil may be endemic and eradicable to human nature, and therefore in the order of reality to which human nature belongs. That's a big quote, and there's a lot in it. What it boils down to is this. Jode came to realize that all our very optimistic philosophies that people have in this world cannot account for the most basic fact in this world that there is evil and suffering and that it is deep within human hearts. Incidentally, if you're at Dundee University, I am profoundly disturbed to hear that Dundee University are basically removing the school of humanities uh, and forcibly getting rid of staff and so on because humanities doesn't really matter. Philosophy doesn't really matter. History doesn't really matter compared with, you know, science and so on and medicine and everything else. Uh, Vital as they are, it is important for us that we are able to look and to see what has happened in the world in the past and what is going on in the world now and to try and understand it. Our society has, I think, this particular view, but the Bible teaches a very different view. It acknowledges the problem of evil as our problem and that that problem is deep, deep deep-rooted. I was going to say if I could expose your heart just now, But let me put it another way. If you could see my heart just now, I'd be out here. I don't want you to know. I don't want to know the depths of my own heart. The Bible tells us stuff about ourselves that is so uncomfortable. And if you've come to church this morning thinking, I'm going to come to church and I'm just going to hear something that's going to pep me up for the week. Um, sorry, wrong church. Uh, That's not going to happen except this. What you will hear is truth and reality, and you will hear an answer to your deepest problem, which is almost unbelievable. A solution that those who despise the seriousness of sin ignore. It's like, as Jesus said, apart from hypochondriacs, you don't go to the doctor unless you're ill. And You don't come to Christ unless you're conscious of your deepest need. Let me phrase this in another way. Ian McEwan, the writer, has a book, uh, Atonement. There was a film as well of the same name, and without spoiling the whole story, there is a young girl in that book who, as as uh, I think a 12-year-old, does something which has terrible consequences for her family. And for the rest of her life, she's making atonement for it. And the, the, really the message of the book and the film is she can't. And it's interesting because McEwen is an atheist. Maybe, maybe you have done something or you are aware of something within your own life that the guilt of it is so bad it will be with you forever. And this stanza of this song is God's answer to that. The second stanza of the song has said, we saw Jesus, we saw him on the cross, and he was so horrific. He was, we turned our faces away from him. We considered him stricken by God, says verse 4. What does that mean? 
Most of you don't come from this kind of community, perhaps. Some of you probably might do, culture. But something deeply ingrained in traditional societies is very often this. Someone is really, really bad. They get really bad things happen to them. Now, I find it intriguing that in Western society, Buddhism is cool. Because they think it seems so much more compassionate and loving and you can pick and mix. I find Buddhism to be one of the cruelest religions possible. Because Buddhism says you get what you deserve. That it's your karma. And if a disabled person, you meet a disabled person on the street, it's because they're disabled because they were bad in a previous life. Well, there's a Christian, inverted commas, form of that. I remember um, one woman having three children who died. And I remember people saying things like, well, I wonder what she did. How cruel can that be? But that's sometimes how people think. And here, people look at Jesus on the cross and they say, what did he do to deserve this? He must have done something really wrong. Why would God forsake him? He was afflicted. We considered him stricken by God. Why? Firstly this, the great substitution. Surely he took up our infirmities. Surely here, the word carries this idea of, this is not what you're going to expect. This is not the formulaic approach. When we see the suffering of Christ and understand what he did, it's not what we expected. He acted by means of substitution. Now, this is a great biblical teaching, and it's a great biblical teaching that is severely under attack in the church today, and even some evangelicals are saying things like, it's not that important. Let me tell you this, if you do not get this and you do not grasp this, you have no chance of understanding Christianity. And whatever else you may call yourself, you may say you believe in Jesus, but if you do not understand why he died on the cross, you are not, you cannot be a Christian. The teaching that's here is drawn from Leviticus chapter 16, and I'd love to read the whole chapter, but we don't have time. Here's the amazing thing about that chapter. Aaron the high priest had just witnessed the death of his two sons, Nadab and Abihu. What had they done? They had approached God casually. They had approached God as if they were equals. They had approached God without recognizing the holiness of God. They had approached God without recognizing the need for their sin to be forgiven. And they died. And Nahab, and, and sorry, Aaron has to go into the presence of God with his sons having been killed by God. Now, we would just be absolutely... I, I, I don't know how that would happen. I don't know how I could do that. How could he approach? Well, Leviticus 16 says this. It talks about the Day of Atonement, uh, the bull and the ram being offered in sacrifice, the two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, and the scapegoat. In fact, I want to read about the scapegoat. We'll turn to Leviticus 16, and I'll read from uh, verse 20. Just a couple of verses there. It's on page 119. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. 
The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. The goat doesn't take away sin. The blood of bulls and goats doesn't take away sin. These are pictures and symbols that God is using to show us. And part of that is showing us the real lamb, the real sacrifice, Jesus Christ. So, you you imagine this scene where the priest confesses the sins of the people, lays his hand on the goat, and the goat is taken out. And it's all your sins are being taken away with that goat. Well, this is what happens with Jesus. He is that scapegoat. He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Matthew 8, verse 14, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Now, we have to be really careful here. Because like all things in the Bible, there's a balance. If you don't get the balance right, you'll tip off. There are some Christians who say, well, what this means is if you're sick, Jesus will heal you because Jesus died so that you would never be sick. Well, in that case, I'm not a very good Christian, and neither are most of you. But there are other Christians, I think, who in reaction to that almost go the other way and say, the cross of Christ has nothing to do with our physical suffering. Actually, it does. He took our sufferings. He took our diseases. He took our pains. Those of us who've experienced real illness and severe physical suffering, we need to realize that Christ took that. Now, that doesn't mean to say we never experience, but it means to say that He knows and He understands and He is healing us, though outwardly, says Paul, our body is wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day, and we shall receive a new body. We shall be in that place where there is no more suffering, no more sickness, no more disease. He took it, and the it is our sin and all the consequences of our sin. And the word for took carries this idea, He carried it. He lifted it and put it on his back. I hear a lot in churches from clergy people who stand up and go, we stand for the poor and we want to help the sick and we're there for the weak. And it all sounds so great. And to me, maybe it's cynicism, but I go, it's just wishful thinking. It's not really much use. I'm sorry, I'm sick. I don't want your sympathy. I want something to happen. I feel your pain, people might say. I think a lot of our religion is talking about other people's pains and sorrows, but Jesus didn't talk about it. Jesus dealt with it. He dealt with every aspect of our need, the infirmities and sorrows that blight our lives, the moral and spiritual wrongs that alienate God. He took up, he bends down to lift up. There's a song, I can't even, I can't find the words for it. I just remember it, singing it as a child. I remember I had a friend, my next door neighbor, who was uh, not a Christian at all, and then she was converted, and the change in her life was phenomenal. And she always used to sing this song, is your burden heavy as you bear it on, their own, or on your own? Does the road you travel harbor dangers yet unknown? Reach out to Jesus, he's reaching out to you. 
and that burden that so many of us carry. Christ comes and he takes it. The sickness and the sorrows and the sins that mar our life. One man says this, we wish for more than we are able to achieve so that the good life is always eluding us. We long for a truly happy life, but are constantly balked by sorrow in whatever form it may come, disappointment, bereavement, tragedy, whatever, but he made our burdens his. I couldn't resist this, but it is the most bizarre and wonderful thing. I've said this before to some of you. Hibernian win the Scottish Cup. And their fans to celebrate, sing the proclaimers, sorrow, sorrow, my heart was broken, my heart was broken. And they're not even singing it ironically, they're from Edinburgh, they don't know what ironic means, no. But they, they, I mean, it's, it's incredible. And to hear them sing it, it's so beautiful. Because the song itself, when the proclaimers wrote it, why am I worth my room on this earth? And it talks about sunshine on leaf, I'll give thanks to the chief. And they're talking about God. Because our life is full of sorrow. And you, you might, it's why the blues are real music. And why the kind of, you know, hippy happy, you know, everything's wonderful pop music. That's not real music. Real music is the blues. Because it describes what people's lives, what many people feel. The blues arose largely out of the uh, Mississippi cotton fields. And the conditions that the slaves experienced. It arose out of poverty in the slums of Chicago because life is full of sorrow. Today, you may be here and you're just filled with the joys because everything is going great, but you will experience sorrow in your life. And some of you are here and you're looking for the joy because you just experience sorrow. How do we deal with that? Well, This is what Christ is doing. I'll explain how he does it in a moment. But also, I want to say just a little bit about what we think of him. Stricken by God. Afflicted. Often refers to leprosy. There was a tradition, actually, in Jewish folklore that the Messiah would have leprosy. And when you had leprosy, what happens was you were out. Supposing a leper came in this church and we were in that culture, the leper would not be allowed in this church. The leper would have to be out. The leper would be cast out. And he was saying, Jesus was like the leper. Psalm 73, verse 14. All day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. We should have been horror struck at ourselves, the guilty ones, and filled with loving admiration for him, the sin bearer. But what the, the song is saying here is we looked at Jesus and he was completely st- stricken. We were horrified. Now, why? What happened to him? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the emphasis on, is on him. In other words, it was him and him alone. It was not us. It was no other. And the stress here is that he suffered greatly. Pierced. It's a an image of something that obviously goes really deep. Psalm 109, verse 22, for I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. Pierced for our transgressions. Transgressions are the willfulness and rebelliousness of sin, the deliberate flouting of the Lord and His law. 
I keep meeting people who say, it's not right that somebody else gets punished for my sin or someone else's sin. Why not? Because for you to be punished for your own sin is hell. You don't want that. You can't take that. Jesus was deeply stricken. He was pierced for our sins and crushed. A word that's used of people being crushed to death, being so oppressed. Again, for our iniquities, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's it's the bentness or pervertedness of human nature being loaded onto the one, the only one whose human nature was absolutely perfect. Every lamb, every goat would have some kind of defect. But this one, the perfect lamb, something, someone who is so beautiful, someone who, whose character shines through, someone who you could never look at and feel resentment or anger because of any ugliness within him. And yet, all my ugliness all your ugliness, all your sin, all the things that would make you most ashamed, they are loaded onto Him. He takes them. He puts them on His own back. It's an extraordinary image. It's an extraordinary picture, and it's one that has an extraordinary consequence. But before we look at that consequence to finish, we're going to sing again uh, from Psalm 22. Um, And we're going to sing, we we sang from it last week, part of it. We're going to sing a a different part of it this week. And the tune is Soldau. And again, this is a song that is also about Christ and the cross. Strong bulls of Bashan circle me, wild bulls approach on every side. And this is the image of the the wild, the, the, the demons, if you like, attacking whilst Christ himself is the sacrifice. So let's stand and sing this, and then we'll finish just by looking at the results. B.B. Warfield has a wonderful article on the emotional life of our Lord. And I think we need to understand Jesus in His humanity had feelings that were intensely beyond or, you know, greater than ours. And I think sometimes we just have this wrong view of Christ that you know, if we think he's got feelings, it's kind of some kind of soporific, you know, hippie, drug-induced, everything's peace, calm, and love, and understanding. But here on the cross, there's this intense pain and suffering. And maybe, um, I was trying to think the best way to describe this, and forgive me for being just a little bit personal, but uh, when I was in, in uh, ICU in Nine Wells, I remember when I came out, two friends, uh, Derek Laman and Neil McMillan, came to see me after I came out, and they looked at me and they said, oh, what a difference. And I said, what's the difference? Because they'd seen me in hospital, and they said they almost felt physically sick at what they saw because everything had bust and you know, my eyes were blood red and so on. Now, think of in your family. Think of watching someone who you love, and they're in agony, but not just physical agony, but spiritual agony. Think of the disciples looking on the one they love, Jesus, 
And he's crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They must have been traumatized beyond anything. They must have. How, how is this possible that this one, this one, the beautiful one, how can he be in such agony and how can he think that God has forsaken him? It's extraordinary. But by going this deep, Christ deals with our sinful state. Christ deals with our alienation from God. Christ deals with our broken personhood. He brings us peace. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Peace. The moral and spiritual wrongs that alienate us from God. If you are human, you are at war with God. You are an enemy of God. Why? Because of fallen human nature. The punishment of our peace. It's, it's, it's an incredible thing to believe that Jesus' punishment is the thing that brings us shalom, that brings us wholeness, that brings us completeness, that brings us personal fulfillment, harmonious society, a secure relationship with God. All the things that politicians promise us or therapists promise us or maybe the idols of all this world will promise us. I sometimes wonder, listening to the EU debate on both sides, how ridiculous it gets. And I wouldn't be surprised, on the one hand, to hear David Cameron say, if we leave the EU, then, uh, you know, or sorry, if we stay in the EU, then we'll be personally fulfilled, we'll have a harmonious society and a secure relationship with God, or at least with everyone else. And Boris Johnson to say, you know, if we, if we leave the EU, we, we'll get all these things. But this is a real deep peace. It's the peace that that every single one of us needs. And again, religious people, you go to churches and you go to mosques and you go to everywhere else and they all say, peace, peace, we're a religion of peace. And you say, where is it? Where's this peace that you were talking about? Because I'm not seeing it. 48 verse 18, if only you had paid attention to command, my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea. 49 and verse 1, listen to me, you islands, hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he's made mention of my name. And he goes on to talk about how peace comes through the Lord. Peace comes through the servant. And how does that peace come? Not by Jesus going, well, peace, peace be to you. Here's a handshake of peace. There's peace there. Here's peace there. In order for you to have peace with God, in order for you to have peace within yourself, in order for you to have peace within society, it took the death of the Son of God. Healing comes, the infirmities and sorrows that blight our lives. Isaiah 19.22, they will turn to the Lord and He will respond to their pleas and heal them. Revelation 21 verses 1 to 5, the, the Leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. What brings this? What brings healing is the contrary thing of the wounds. By his wounds we are healed. And the word there means open lacerations, the kind that fester, the kind that are ugly, the kind that are horrible. My wounds fester and are loathsome, says Psalm 38 verse 5. 1 Peter 2, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Now, bring all this together, and I realize even though um, 
My time is almost gone. I realize that we've kind of skimmed this, but I, want to, I do want to bring this together. The healing is complete freedom from all the things that cause the servant to die. It's the peace of God that passes understanding. It means that once you come to know Jesus, no matter what you experience, no matter what suffering you experience, you know it's all been paid for. You know that Christ is with you. What is emphasized here, and here's the problem that I know that some of you have, and you're listening to this and you're thinking, blood and sacrifice and and lacerated wounds and everything, what kind of weird religion is this? This is the reality of life. Because you will be like someone like Polly Toynbee, who has written many times, saying, I don't need someone to die for my sins. I'll look after myself. I hope she comes to see that that's not right. I read an astonishing piece from Russell Brand in The Guardian yesterday, where he's talking about his drug addiction and why he would take heroin and cocaine. And you know what he says? He says, I know that tomorrow I could take it again because there's no peace. And he talks about how desperately looking for that. I think that you don't get this if you don't get the seriousness of sin. I think if you do get this, it'll help you get the seriousness of sin. See, if the things that you and I do that are wrong are just errors, I made a mistake there. And so in the light of human standards, we're not all that we could be, but, you know, we'll get over it. Then the death of Jesus as our substitute doesn't make any sense. But if the death of Jesus as our substitute is real, then if you work back from that, it means that my sin and your sin is far more serious than we want to think. We have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. I still cannot comprehend people who think that it's a really good thing to play Frank Sinatra at your funeral. I did it my way. That's, that's the ultimate stupidity. You do it your way, you're done. You're finished. I did it my way. And this is where the two religions come in, by the way. I listened to a religious leader say yesterday, you can't discard Scripture. This is a, a Christian leader inverted commas. You can't discard Scripture, but you have to reinterpret it to suit the age. Astonishing. I I was gobsmacked. I was even more gobsmacked when I heard someone else say that they were asked a question at the Church of Scotland Assembly. It was the clerk, and he was asked, um, were the church, what the church were, uh, what does the Bible say about marriage? And he gave the answer, that depends on the assembly. And you think, this is crazy. This is the antithesis of what the Bible says. That's where the two religions come in. And that's the problem. You see, the denial of what's called in theological terms, penal substitutionary atonement. Forget the, the, the terms. It just simply means Jesus died for our sins. The denial of that means that We have a different Jesus and a different Bible and a different God. It is of fundamental importance. I had a debate and a discussion 
with Scott McKenna, as some of you know, who in answering the question, do you believe that Jesus died for your sin, said, no, 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 that's ghastly theology. And then I've had people, evangelical people, write and say, look, David, you're right about the cross, but you shouldn't make a fuss about it because, you know, it's Christians disagreeing with one another. It's just a point of theology. It's not that important. I cannot think of anything more important. Because if Jesus didn't die for my sins, who did? And who's going to atone for them? Not religion and not the church. It sounds nice, doesn't it? Let's all be united. Well, I will be united with Baptists, with Pentecostals, with Church of Scotland, with Roman Catholics, with whoever who accepts the basics of the Christian faith, including who God is in terms of the Trinity, and including the work of Christ, His atoning work on the cross. Anyone who denies any of those is not a Christian, and I cannot be united with them in that sense. You don't have unity in Christ. You have different Christs, and you have different religions. A young man uh, came to me, and in some distress in this city because his minister, an evangelical minister, had said to him that he didn't believe in the atonement, that there was no hell, no judgment, and no answering for our sins. He's an evangelical, supposedly. Without that, you end up with no Christ, no church, no forgiveness, no atonement. If Jesus didn't die on the cross for your sins, if Jesus didn't die on the cross for my sins, then I'm out of here. I'm not interested in the kind of Christianity which is just what they call therapeutic, moralistic deism. Be nice because Jesus was nice. Be good because Jesus was good. Love peace. Let's all be together and be one and we are the world and everything else. That doesn't deal with my sin. And I want to know who is going to heal me of my sin. Do you know what I want? I just want forgiveness and blessing. And this is what this offers you, but it offers it you at a tremendous cost, but not your cost. You pay nothing. Jesus did it all. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. The verse that Hitchin read, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He didn't give his son so that we could pontificate about different things that we can do to be right with God. He gave his son so that we would be right with God. The son of God dying on the cross does not make salvation possible. It is salvation definite for those who believe and trust in Jesus. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, he suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. It doesn't matter if you speak Portuguese or Chinese or Gaelic or English or Scottish or whatever. It doesn't matter. It matters that you are invited to come to God. And that's a simple question. The question you have to answer is whether you are willing to come. Will you bow before Christ and say, Lord, I come, forgive me my sin, heal me, make me whole? You could say, I don't need atonement. You're wrong. And may God show you how wrong you are. You do. 
You could say, I don't want atonement. Well, you're foolish. And may God waken you to see the foolishness of that. You could say, I want atonement, but I can hardly believe it is true. Surely I have to do something. Don't you understand that supposing you were all the saints in the world combined and did all the good that they have done, compared with what Christ has done and who Christ is, it is a drop in the ocean. It is nothing compared with who Jesus is and what he has done. That's why the gospel is always good news for everybody, because it says, here is Christ. Those of you who thirst for forgiveness, who thirst for new life, for joy and for peace and for healing of broken bodies, hearts, minds, and spirit, Jesus doesn't look at you and say, go away, go away, do this first, do that second. Jesus says, come to me, come to me, you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you know, I have nothing to give you except that. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And that's why to the end of my days, I will never stand with people who deny the atonement of Jesus Christ. Not because I want to be right, not because I want to fight, not because I want theological divisions, but because without that atonement, there's no good news to give people. And I want to give the good news to people in Charleston, and I want to give the good news to people in Brody Ferry and into Ayleth and throughout Scotland and throughout the world. And if you take that away, I've got nothing to give, and you've got nothing to give. But if you've got this, you have got everything to give people because you are giving them Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we are such broken people. We are sick of sickness. We are angry with anger. We are worried about worry. We, we have so many concerns, so many hurts, so many confusions, and so much within ourselves that, that would break and destroy us and destroy other people. We live in a world which is bent and twisted, and we can't put it right. We can't put ourselves right. But we bless you that there is a solution, that there is just a wondrous answer that is just the angels look in amazement, and all heaven will for all eternity be praising the wonder of the cross as the lamb in the midst of the throne looking as if it had been slain because it had been slain is there, and because you are there, we will be there. Lord, I pray for anyone here who as yet doesn't know that, that as they've heard this invitation from you to come, that they would bow and say, Lord, I come, I come, forgive my sin, heal me, make me whole. And I pray for those of us who are believers, who forget so quickly the healing, the real healing that's in the atonement, 
that we too would come again and again to the fountain that never stops giving, to the Lord who never stops loving. Lord, thank you and help us to worship you and follow you in your name. Amen. We're going to finish by singing uh, something I thought was very appropriate. Uh, May I never lose the wonder of the cross. It can just become a cliche for us. O precious sight, my Savior stands, dying for me with outstretched hands. O precious sight, I love to gaze, remembering Salvation's Day. Let's stand and sing this to God's praise. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.